Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, God, and worship you, Father. We glorify your holy name, O God. There is no God like you. You are the first and the last, God, the beginning and the end, Lord. Principio y final, Dios. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Alpha y Omega. Father, I just thank you, God, for all those kids and families, Lord. Ask you, God, that as they sing the songs, my God, and as they um as they remember their time in VBS, God, that you remind them of your love. That when there are times that are dark, when times are not going right, when things are sad, Father, they would remember that Jesus shines the light, that he is the one to rescue them, God. That you bring this truth to the forefront of their memory, God. Lord, that whatever seed was sown, my God, we thank you, God, for the increase. We thank you for the fruit, God. We thank you, God, for, uh, my God, the next generation to be risen up, my God, and serve you, Lord. We thank you, God, that as they go forth, my God, and they are... Um, out in the world, my God, and they're out doing whatever, Father, that you would remind them, God, that you are there, that you would not leave them nor forsake them, God, that the truths, my God, that while they seem like punchlines to us and little taglines to say, God, but to them, my God, it is truth, Father, that you would bring this up to their memory, God. I thank you, Father, that they would remember to proclaim amongst the nations that even as they gave, my God, to a global missionary, a global missions, Lord, that they remember there are people in other countries, God, who are suffering, Lord. Remind them, Lord, to pray for those areas, God. Impress upon their hearts, God, that it's not about me and mine, but it's about we and us. Father, start it young. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in their hearts, my God, that they will make an impact even in their family, Lord. Even in their family, God. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for being faithful and for being true. And there's some people, my God, who are going through things, my God, that it seems a little dark right now. It seems like we don't know whether we're going to go left or we're going to go right, God. That situations, my God, um, have overwhelmed us, Lord. I ask you, God, that you will surround them with people, God, that will remind them that you are there, that you are the light, God, that you, my God, will pull them through, God, that you are with them as they walk through, God, these, these dark and troubling times, Lord. Father, they'll be comforted by your Holy Spirit, God. That your word will rise up within them, God, and remind them of the God they serve, Lord. There's people, God, with the financial situation, financial strains, God, who don't know, God, where the next bill is going to be paid at. Father, that you will continue, God, to provide resources and provision for them, Lord. That you open doors that no one else can open, God. You provide opportunities, God. That we will see your hand moving on our behalf. Father, there's people, God, that need, my Lord, just a touch of your healing power. I pray that you will sustain those people, God. Sustain them, Father. Fortify them, God. Strengthen them, God, that as they are going through weak times, Lord, physically weak times, that their, that their faith, my God, will be increased. Their faith will be strong, Lord. That you bring relief from any discomfort, relief from any illness, God. That you bring total and complete healing, God, as your will sees fit, Father. We ask you this, God, in Jesus' name, Lord. You're a big God and you can do it, God. And we, we depend on your miracles, God. We depend on your Holy Spirit, Father, to pull us through, God. We know you can do it, Father. Father, in whatever other situations that are out there, God. You know things, Father, that we don't know. God, you see that what we don't see. 
you know, what's hidden in our hearts, Lord, I ask you that you will soften our hearts, God. Make flesh out of stone, Lord. That we will melt in your presence, God. That we will receive you and not resist. There will be reconciliation and peace into situations and conversations, Lord. Allow us to be a mouthpiece, God. That we will hearken and obey your Holy Spirit as you, as you give us utterance. Help us to move in the gifts that you have given us, Lord. Have your way, Father. Have your way, God. I ask you this, Lord, in Jesus' name, my God. Amen. Good morning. At this time, um, the kids are invited to head to the back. Um, so that'll be half our congregation. Go out this way. I believe the youth are in here, right? Yeah, I think youth are in here. Yep. So good morning. Um, welcome. Thanks for joining us. For those of you watching online or listening, we're glad you're with us in spirit. Um, welcome again. Uh, just thinking this morning about the blessing and privilege it is to have a God who holds and keeps us um, as we get a chance to learn a little bit more from scripture about the God who gives us so much. Uh, my kids and I have some, some fun hobbies. Um, one of our our maybe most sedentary, I think is the word I want to use, hobby is going to the movies. Um, for us, it's not about the movies, it's about the experience, a.k.a. the snacks. Um, so we tend to not be able to tell you what the, the movie's about after the conclusion of the movie, but we can tell you everything we ate. Uh, we look forward to it. We have a whole system. Sometimes we'll even go get food, like a full meal, before we get the snacks because, again, for us, it's the experience, right? Um, and, and so as part of going to the movies, one of the things that when one of us finds out a new movie's out that we're all going to be seeing together, and I say my kids and I, my wife comes once a year and falls asleep, so we don't really include her in this family activity, um, but, but when we find out a trailer's out of something that we're going to eat our way through, we get excited, all right? Um, so this week on the way, or we're driving the car, I shared with the kids that there's a new Willy Wonka movie coming out. And I don't know if some of you knew that. Um, but yeah, there's a new Willy Wonka movie coming out. And, and what's, what's, so we, we got a chance to kind of sit and watch the trailer together. What's interesting about this Willy Wonka, though, is it's different than the other two Willy Wonkas, right? Because this one's a prequel. Uh, so whatever movie you remember or you grew up with, there's some of us who grew up with the 1971 version. I won't age us, right? And there's the kids who grew up with the 2005 version, right? Um, but, but the thing about these movies, it seems like every week there's a new redo of a movie. And, and you know you get old. I'm 40 now, so I can pretend I'm old, right? Like, you know you get old when you see a, pre, uh, a new movie, it's a remake, and you're just like, what are they doing? Why are they ruining such classics, right? And the nostalgia starts coming back. And I remember the first time I watched the prequel, I was left wanting, right? Because what I remember from the first movie, again, the OG 1971 version, the good version, I would say, right? Um, what I remember for that one is the, the, the kids. And you remember some of the kids. These are classic scenes, right? You might remember Augustus, right? Augustus was so greedy that, you know, no one was supposed to drink, uh, what was it, chocolate out of the fountain. And not only was he drinking, he went full Gideon style, right? As those of you who paid attention in Sunday school, he had the hands cupped in. He was going, going, going until what? He fell in. 
and he, was, he not only fell in, he realized he couldn't swim, right? And they gave him a giant, what, lollipop to save him, and he just went down, got, got pulled into the chute, went to the fudge room. That was Augustus, right? And then there was Violet, who has a classic light of Violet. You're turning Violet, Violet, right? Uh, and she was the one who was just impatient, right? She chewed a lot of gum, and it was this, like, three-course meal, and so she starts chewing the gum and enjoying the meal. Um, I think it was tomato soup, which I don't know how anyone enjoys tomato soup, but she did, apparently. Um, and then after the tomato soup, there was roast beef. And, and then there was the blueberry pie, right? And then she starts turning like a blueberry and gets to be so big they literally have to, what, roll her out of the room, right? Then there's Veruca, who I like to call selfish Veruca because, what, I want it, I want it now, right? And after she wanted it now, they decided that she's a bad egg, right? And not only she's a bad egg, she goes down the chute to the bad place. I think it's just a trash can, right? But then... Probably my favorite was Mike, who was probably the youngest of the group, right? And I think they, they kind of, you know, Roald Dahl, the original writer, was a little bit more creative than the Hollywood people, but they called him Mike TV, right? So you kind of knew what was going to happen to him. So there was this new thing of shrinking candy bars and, and putting in the TV, and, and he was a know-it-all, so he wanted to, to be the first one who was shrunk into TV, and boy, did he shrink, right? Shrunk into this three, I think it was like three inches, fit in his mother purse, right? Now, now what I was thinking about that, as I was thinking about the, like, the my own nostalgia about how, like, the new movie might not have these characters, right? But I started thinking about this idea that all of us, right, we live out of our beliefs. We live out of our values. The people we are are not only shaped by the people around us, are not only shaped by our beliefs and values, but they're shaped by our God. But a question for us this morning becomes, but who is our God that shapes us? Because as you, as you think about worship, as we, we think about worship in, in the light of these people, or we think about our faith in the light of Augustus and Violet, Veruca, and Mike, we don't want to be like them, right? Like, that's why we can laugh at them, because we are not arrogant. We are not greedy. We're not impatient. We're not selfish. And, and my goodness, we are not know-it-alls. But the thing is, y'all laughing a little too hard. I don't know if you're laughing at me or laughing at yourself, but we're just going to all be humbled this morning. The thing that's fascinating about it is that unfaithful people reflect their beliefs, their values, what they decide is their God. Because the truth of the matter is we all are reflecting something. And if we don't want to be characterized as greedy, impatient, selfish, and know-it-alls, the question becomes, who is our God that we're reflecting? George K. Beale, who um, is, did a seminal work, he's a, a theologian and a scholar, he had a book said, we become what we worship. And in that book, he writes this, people will always reflect something, whether it be God's character or some feature of the world. If people are committed to God, they will become like him. If they are committed to something other than God, they will become like that, king, that thing. And that's what you see with Augustus, who's so greedy, and Violet, who's so impatient, and Veruca, who's so selfish, and Mike, who's this know-it-all. We become what we worship. We become what we believe. We become what we value. So it's with this in mind we go into this passage. Now, this is an interesting passage because usually when we talk about gifts around here, we talk about everything else but our money, right? We say skills, gifts, and abilities. We say spiritual gifts. We say if you can encourage, encourage. If you can teach, teach. If, if you can dance, dance, right? Uh, but this passage is actually about your money. And there's no way around it, right? Like you can't read this passage and be like, well, I really think they're talking about encouragement here. 
Right? Like, like, you can't read this passage and be like, you know what? I think God was upset at them because they just weren't praying enough for each other. This passage is about money. And what's fascinating to me is that Malachi has been documenting all the different ways people have been unfaithful to God. But the way he characterized people not being faithful to God with their money here is he says, you are robbing God. Because for us to be faithful, or I guess maybe I'll say it this way, all of us are faithful to what we hold most dear. All of us are faithful to what we hold on to. All of us are faithful to what we prioritize. The challenge for us as people who follow God is we are not to be so faithful to our money that we're faithless to our God. We're not to hold on so much and to build so much what we want to do that we forget we ought to be in the work of building the kingdom. We become what we worship, and we're either submitting even, yes, our money to our God, or we're living for our money and not our God. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 6 to 12, starting at verse 6. We'll also have it up front so you can follow there as well. Starting at verse 6, Malachi 3, 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop the fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then... All the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much that you are indeed the God who's gifted us everything. We thank you so much that you, our God, are the most generous, that you so loved us you sent your son, that even after he died on the cross and went to heaven, you so loved us you left the Holy Spirit. And even after the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, you so loved us you bring us together as your body, the body of Christ, together working with you to make the kingdom come, giving all of ourselves, yes, our gifts, our skills, our abilities, but Lord, also everything that we value all that we are, we present it at your feet. For our generous God is the God who does not change. For our generous God is the God who holds on to us. For our generous God is the God who's most gracious. For our generous God is the God who's good. For our generous God is the God who gifts us so that we can be a gift, who blesses us so that we can be a blessing, who loves us so that we can share that love with our world. Lord, we give you all of us this morning, and yes, even our money too. In your holy and precious name, amen. Because we're going through this idea of unfaithfulness, we have seen so many different ways that people have been unfaithful. 
Yet in the beginning of this passage, Malachi starts off with a promise from God. That, that God is actually a blessing to the people. God is generous. He does not change. The name that's used throughout the book of Malachi more than any other is Yahweh. And we've already explained what Yahweh means. I am who I am. I'm the God who was, the God who is, the God who will be. But even deeper than that, I'm the God who's shown you who I am. And who has God shown himself to be? He's the God in Malachi alone. He's the God who loved them by choosing them. He's the God who forgave them when they dishonored him. He's the God who disciplined not just the people, not just the kings, but even the priest. He's the God who restored women who were being discarded by their husbands. He's the God who sent messengers to provide hope for his people. He's the God who's faithful. When he says, I am the God who does not change, praise God that he does not change. Praise God that he's always good. Praise God that he's always faithful. Praise God that he's always generous with us. So he starts off by letting you know that I am so generous. I'm so good. I'm such a blessing to you. I'm Yahweh. I am who I am. I am who I've revealed myself to be. God is generous. But God is also gracious. And the way we know that God is gracious is he says what? You have not been destroyed. That's a weird way to say I'm gracious. But if you're breathing this morning, if you can take a deep breath from your lungs, God is gracious for giving you that breath. But for them it was even deeper than that because these are people who not one sin, not two sins, not even a year of sin, not a decade of sin, but centuries of sin and generation upon generation of sin has left them at the mercy of Assyrians and Babylonians, of exile and slavery and even death. Yet they were there before the Lord. God was gracious to them. They should have been wiped out. Lamentations who traditionally we believe was written by Jeremiah who they call the weeping prophet. When he saw Jerusalem fallen he cried over Jerusalem but after the crying after the destruction after the slavery you know what he said he said because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed why for his compassions never fail they are new every single morning great is your faithfulness God is good God is gracious even when we dishonor him we are not destroyed and we see this in the story of Israel because God keeps his covenant promises. Even though Adam failed him, God kept his covenant promise. Even though Noah failed him, God kept his covenant promise. Even though Abraham failed him, God kept his covenant promise. Even after David failed him, God kept his covenant promise. Even after people failed him, you see what's going on here? God is faithful. We are not consumed. And so God is making this statement before he asks them of anything. He says, check my resume. Check my stats. Check my CV if you're not from America, right? Check my CV. Look at what I've done for you. And I think that's important for us to hold on to before we enter into this conversation. Because God is not asking anything of you that God hasn't already given to you. God is not asking anything of you that God doesn't deserve by right to take it if he wanted to. What God is asking is to, to look at me and look at how I've been good to you. Look at how I've been gracious to you. And you know another way in this passage we know that God is good? He invites them to return. 
even after, again, generations of sinning against God, generations of, of not worshiping God, of not, you know, they would come to worship and give God like they're broken down animals. They would come to worship. I know we never do this. We're the good people, right? They would come to worship after cussing out their neighbors, after stealing their neighbors, after making money off of their neighbors. They would come to worship after oppressing the people around them. We would never do such a thing. Not us. But they would come into God's house. You know, and, and a lot of Christians, when we talk about tithing, we say, like, well, we don't really have to do it because Jesus says, you know, like, Jesus didn't really say, yes, he did. In Matthew 23, Jesus has this one verse where he's, he's actually talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He's like, you know, y'all do well with the tithing, right? But y'all forget about mercy and justice and love. And I'm afraid that for some of us, we might do well with the mercy and justice and love. But we don't do well with giving God our money. We don't do well with, and I don't mean, hey, write a check to the church. I mean, actually looking at it as a tool that's given to you by God, for God, not for me and mine. And that's the hard part. What does it mean that everything I am, everything that I earn, rightfully belongs to God? That's the question he's asking to Malachi's people. That's the question he's asking to his people. And he says, you know what, even though you fail, I invite you to come back home. And the word he uses here is shuv, which when it's used in the Old Testament, isn't just, hey, come on, come back, right? It's turn away from sin. Stop going in the wrong direction, right? Don't go to Pittsburgh. No one wants to go to Pittsburgh. Turn around and come to Harrisburg, right? Like, like that's what God is saying. If you want to go to Harrisburg, go to Harrisburg. But you can't be in Pittsburgh saying, I'm ready to go to Harrisburg. That's not how shuv works. When God says, return to me, it is not just nice, pretty language because I love you because I'm God. It's if you want to come back to me, you got to give up everything. If you want to come back to me, you got to actually stop taking steps in the wrong direction. If you want to come back to me, here's the beauty one. You actually have to come back. You actually have to come back. It's like some of us call ourselves the followers of Jesus, and we don't actually follow Jesus. If you want to come back to me, God says, I'm going to invite you to come back. But to come back, you got to turn from sin. Which means that thing that you're doing, you got to stop doing it. That way you're not being faithful, you got to stop being unfaithful. You have to come back. So God makes the invitation, invites us back home. And the work for us is to accept the invitation, is to answer the call, is to come back home again. When I was a kid, one of our, our, our leaders at church used to do this thing. And it only worked for the new kids because all of us old veterans knew what he was doing. He would rip out a dollar. I'm old enough that a dollar was a lot of money. Right? I'm going to use this old thing as long as I get you, you wait till I, I'm, we're going to go. And he would whip out a dollar, right? And, and he would be like, hey, who wants a dollar? And literally they would screen us. Like the, the adult leaders would screen all the veteran kids because we know if he hands it out, we go and take that dollar, right? But every new kid, every single time, and we did this for almost a decade growing up, every new kid would be like, are you sure? Like, what do you mean I can have a dollar? Like, like what's the trick behind it? Like, like what's, like, wh why are you giving me, what's going on here, right? And after about, you know, 30 seconds, <laughs> the youngest in the room would be like, I don't know what y'all thinking about. They would walk up and they would what? Snatch the dollar. And then the older kids would be like, wait, you just took the dollar. And then the adult would say, well, I was giving the dollar. And they're like, what, what do you mean you were giving the dollar? It's like, I was giving the dollar. <laughs> like, you have to actually take it. That's the same way it works with God's repentance and forgiveness. 
That's the same way it works when God offers you salvation, God offers you forgiveness. You actually have to take the invitation. You can't just be like, well, God loves me. He invited me. If I invite you to my house to eat and Shell makes a delicious meal, I said Shell because, you know, not all of us can cook in that relationship, right? But if it's a delicious meal and I invite you to my house to eat and you don't come, not only are you wasting the invitation, you're wasting the good food. You're not also wasting the chance to fellowship with, with, with us. It's the same way when God calls us back home. Are we willing to actually accept the invitation? To not just be like, you know what, God's God, he's big, that's awesome, really cool. Are we willing to actually accept that invitation to come back? Because that's what God wants us to be grounded in. Before we realize what we're not doing or what we are doing, God says, remember I'm generous. Just look at your life. Look at all the ways I've been generous to you. Remember I'm gracious. Just look at your life. A lot of us in this room should not be here this morning for a variety of reasons. A lot of us this morning should not be the people that we are for a variety of reasons. But thank God his mercies are new and his great faithfulness always carries us. And a lot of us have made that decision to come back, to snatch that dollar of grace and say, thank you, Lord Jesus. But when we get the baseline, the foundation laid, you know, it's almost like I feel like my grandmom used to do this to me all the time, right? It's just like, first you make me feel comfortable. You feel my gut, right? And then it's like, now we got to talk. It's like, but I don't want to talk. I just ate the food. I'm good. But now God wanted to talk to his people. He says, listen, I've been generous, I've been gracious, I've been good. But you have not been any of these things. You have not been a blessing to me yet again. You have grown greedy and impatient, selfish, and know it all. You have taken the thing that you value and you're shaped by it. And when we say the people of Israel were shaped by their values, it's not just that they weren't tithing. Is that the temple of God where they believed God dwelt was falling apart on their watch? Is that the people of God who was all around them were being shunned on their watch? Is that the aliens and strangers and women and the least of these and all these people who were suffering in their society were still suffering on their watch? God is saying, you have made it all about me and mine. You have made it all about your greed, your impatience, your selfishness. How are you going to return if you're not willing to let go? How are you going to return if you're only going to look out for you and yours? How are you going to return if you're still being arrogant with everything, including your money? Now, the pathway to return is acknowledgement. We have to come before God humble, honest, and heartfelt. Because the people were robbing God, and they knew it, yet they had arrogance to say, well, how are we robbing you? Don't ask God a question you don't want the answer to. And if you haven't learned that lesson, those of us who are older will teach you that lesson. Don't ask God a question you don't want the answer to. So when they say, God, how, how, are, you, how are we robbing you? God says, well, my law told you what you ought to do. Leviticus 27.30 says this, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And if they didn't get it in Leviticus, he, he kept moving. He went to Numbers next. Numbers 18 says, speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering.'" 
And if they didn't get Leviticus and Numbers, he said in Deuteronomy again, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns. Why? So that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When God asks for a tithe, may we know that it's not for God. God doesn't need your money. God needs you. God doesn't need your bank account. God needs your heart. God doesn't need your money, but your sister and your brother might. And that's what he was trying to teach them. He says, my law has taught it. My law has taught it because I need you to realize that unless you're giving to your sister and brother for the kingdom, the kingdom is not going to go forward. You know, when they allotted the land, the Levites and the priests did not get land. So this tithe wasn't just, oh, let's keep the temple pretty or let's make sure the harps are in tune, right? This was literally their part of the inheritance. And as we've been talking about the Old Testament, we said that the land was their inheritance, right? Like to lose the land was to lose their identity. The identity of the temple was all the Levites had. And so with the neglect of the other 11, 12 tribes of not providing for the Levites and the priests and the temple, they were literally neglecting their own people. And then it got worse because God ordered the tithe not just to take care of the temple and the priests, but because he knew that wherever God is, the world will come. That wherever God's people are, there will be strangers and foreigners among them. And if we who are loved by God and we who are called by God and we who are chosen by God are not the ones who are loving the foreigners and strangers among us, who will? And so God lays out this in the Mosaic law to teach them, hey, you ought to be doing this because I have asked you to for the betterment of your brothers, your sisters, your priests, the foreigners among you. But the thing about the, it wasn't just in the law. And so a lot of times people talk about tithing, they go to the law. It was also in the history. You remember Cain and Abel. You remember, a lot of times people think tithing started with Moses. And these two stories kind of conflict that. You remember Cain and Abel. Most of us who grew up hearing this story, we heard it from the perspective of like, well, God didn't, wasn't pleased, right, with Cain's sacrifice. And, and then Cain got really, really angry. But I want you to go back and read that text. It doesn't really say God wasn't satisfied with Cain's sacrifice. It doesn't say that. We read that in because we look at it like, well, he had to be unhappy. I mean, why was he so mad? And if you go a deeper dive in that passage, what it actually comes down to is that God was after Cain's heart. It wasn't that his, his sacrifice wasn't good enough. It was that he thought it was good enough. It wasn't that he didn't give God his best and that was all there was. It was that God was saying, I want you to come and when you give, I want you to give all of you. I want you to give sacrificially, yes, but I want you to give in a way that you have a holy dependency on me. And that's what is pushing this Cain and Abel thing, right? God wants him to have a holy dependency on him. He didn't want to be like, you know what, look at my sacrifice. I did well today. It's, it's actually, it's more like, are you giving in a way that you're wholly dependent on me? Here's another one, Abraham and Melchizedek. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 7. Melchizedek was this great priest, yes, but he was also a king. 
And Abram, after all his spoils, right, he goes to the priest of God. And guess what Abraham does? He tithes to the priest of God, Melchizedek. Remember what we said last week about covenants, right? When you make covenant, it's stretched to your children. Why? Because your children are in you. Who were Israel but the children of Abraham? Who were the Levites but the children of Abraham? So you have this beautiful kind of roundabout, like it, it all fits together in this way. That Abraham tithed to God through Melchizedek. And now the children of Abraham are still tithing to God. And even the, the Levites, who were the separate tribe, they also got to tithe back to God because it was their job to take care of the people. Why is all of this important? Because how dare we say God has not asked us to give? Like that's the point Malachi is trying to drive home. He says you can read it in any one of the laws. If you called Abraham your father, you know he gave to the people of God. If you know Cain and Abel, you know God cares about your heart. How dare we not give back to our God? And then the passage shifts again. And what you have now emerging is God kind of saying, I desire to bless you and not curse. And I want to pause here because a lot of times we don't do a good enough job of giving you the framework of this passage, right? We as pastors love this during capital campaign season, right? It's like this is the only time in the Bible that God says test me in this. So, so you need to give and, and God will bless you, right? Like we, like any pastor in the world can give you that sermon. Like it's just like it's just one of the ones. It's just like a check, you know, like, like Jesus loves you and then Malachi 310. You know, it's just like it's right there, especially during capital campaign season. But I also think there's a lot of us, and I'm closer to this side, who just don't like talking about money anyway. Because it feels a little weird, right? Like if you ever come to a council meeting and, and you sit in there, you realize that like a lot of the budget goes to we as a staff, right? So it feels weird. And I'm like, y'all ought to give, right? One of my, one of my um, younger cousins last week was just like, and he didn't know I was preaching on tithing. He was just like, is it weird that you give to the church? I was like, no, God asked us to give to the church. He goes, well, aren't you giving to yourself? And I was like, no, I'm not giving to myself, you know? And he's like 25, so I can't let him think he's right, right? So I was just like, we need to study the scripture on this. What are you talking about? But I say all that to say that just because, you know, I would not like to talk about this doesn't mean we can't talk about it. Because it doesn't matter what denomination you're in. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. One of the things that plagues us as Christians is our God has become our money. Our God has become our financial security. Our God has become looking out for me and mine and not beyond my picket fence. And not beyond my own heart. Not beyond my children and grandchildren even. Our God has become what I can hold on to so they can have a better life. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just not sure that's God's best. Because I'm not sure that I feel like God desires us to give it all to him. To give it all to him. And, and, and God desires us to partner with him. Because if we're just out here building our own kingdoms, what energy, resources, and gifts will we have for the kingdom of God? That's what he's trying to push us on. So when he gets to this passage and he says, you know what? I see unfaithfulness as robbery, but I desire to bless you. So I want you to bring the whole tithe. And that's interesting. Because a lot of times we get tithing from, from the Hebrew Masar, which is a little too close to Massa, you know, so I don't like that very much. But, like, like, what it means is just a tenth. 
But there's a lot of Old Testament scholars who tell you that when, when Malachi talks about the whole tithe here, he's talking about tithes and offerings. So it's not just a percentage that you think like, hey, I should give that percentage, right? And why is he pushing this? Because God is not saying, when you give, I will automatically bless you. But God is saying, when you give in a way that blesses others, I will bless you. When you give in a way that actually looks out for others, I will bless you. Because the whole tithe blesses the priest. The whole tithe blesses the, the temple. The whole tithe blesses the orphans. It blesses the widows. It blesses the poor. It blesses the strangers, the foreigner. The whole tithe blesses the kingdom of God. And here is the maybe best part for some of us. Is yes, you're showing your reliance on God. Yes, you're blessing the priest, the temple. Yes, you're, you're blessing the work of God and the, the poor. And, but then you also get blessed too. And the blessing that comes isn't just, like, I think a lot of times for some of us as Christians, it's like, well, I'll get my blessings in heaven. And that's true. And that's good. But I'm so glad God doesn't wait for heaven to bless us. I'm so glad that God doesn't wait for heaven to be like, you've done a good job. I'm so glad that God doesn't wait for heaven to say, look at how your gift has helped bless your sister and brother. I'm so glad I don't have to wait till heaven to know that my God is good, that my God is working through us, that my God is working in us. I'm so, it'll be great in heaven, but we are not there yet. But while we're on this earth, if we give the whole tithe, God basically says to us, give your lot. And I will do lots. Give and see what your God can do. So as we think about tithing and giving, I want to give us four things to kind of hold on to. I think the reason God calls us to give is simply this, to help us remember the giver. There's so much in our culture that says all that we have is what we worked for. I had a grandparent who says, you think you're smart. You're only smart because God made you smart. You think you're strong, you're only strong because God made you strong. You think you're helping, you only help because God is deciding to use you to help. And that humility is good. Because as I'm getting older, I'm not as strong or smart as I think I used to be. God calls us to give because it reminds us that all that we have and all that we are belongs to God. Number two. God calls us to not just remember he's the giver, but to actually rely on the giver. In premarital, I like to, well, if any of you are in premarital, you're getting a bonus, right? If I'm doing premarital with you, you know the right answer now, right? And if you fail, then we'll pray harder for your marriage, right? I like to ask the, the couples this question, right? Personally, are you a spender? Or are you a saver, right? And here's the eureka thing. It's a trick question. There's no way you can answer it right. Because I don't think God desires us to be spenders or savers as much as God desires us to be what? Stewards. God desires us to be stewards, right? So there might be seasons that you're a spender. There might be seasons you're a saver. But in every season, you ought to be stewarding everything God's given you. And you ought to be running it through the lens of what I have, how am I using it for the kingdom? How am I using it to give it back to God? How am I using it to help my sister and brother? That's the metric we should be running it through. It doesn't matter. Your natural tendency might be a saver. Your natural tendency might be a, a spender. Right? But all of us need the Spirit's help 
to steward all that God has given us. Why? Because again, all we have and all we are belongs to God. The third reason God needs us to give is to support kingdom work. I think it's fascinating to me all the work that churches have done for centuries. I'm from a, a generation that bemoans everything church, right? My generation loves to say, like, well, I don't believe in church anymore. I believe in God, right? And that's tricky because I'm really glad when I woke up this morning, my knee didn't say, I don't believe in Hank anymore. I believe in God, right? Like, my knee didn't just dissociate and pull itself out of the body, right? Like, like, like it sounds silly until you hear yourself saying it out loud. I don't need church. I bet you need them knees. I bet you need that back. I don't know what the knuckle does, but I bet you need that too. Right? God calls us to give to support kingdom work. And I keep looking in the books and the scholars and the commenters, but all I keep finding that God has left two things to change this world, the spirit and the church. When we divest from the church, and I'm not saying Harrisburg Brethren in Christ. I'm saying the body of Christ. When we divest from the body of Christ, we're literally stepping outside of the body and wondering why God is not moving. We need each other, but God only works through us. I think I'm waiting for the translation that's going to be from central Pennsylvania, and it's going to be right in the Greek. When all these commands in the Old Testament and the New Testament are, are, are written to not you, but to y'all. Because that's the actual Greek. It's y'all, right? If you break it down, you're like, you plural. But in English, we just say you. And, and we're Westerners. So when we read you, we're like, well, this is what God wants me to do, right? Like even we, we think about your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How do we interpret that? We're like, well, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Like me, right? That's not what he's saying. We give because God has blessed us. We give because we can help. We give because we can do more together than we could ever do alone. We give, and this is a hard one for us here in the West. We give trusting God. And this is going to be tricky because I do work at a church. But I felt really convicted this week to say this. We have to give trusting God and not our designated giving. And that's tricky because there's a lot of projects that will come up that we want to give to. But the challenge for us is when we give to the church, when we give to the kingdom, we're giving to the kingdom, not just the kingdom part I like, not just the kingdom part that I want to support. And I'm not saying y'all do this, but some Christians do this. We give to the part that we have the most control of. I'm not sure if God will equate that and call that tithing. I think God will call that maybe an offering or a blessing. But if you're only giving to what you have control of, are you actually giving? I can't answer that. I don't want to answer that because I only get fired when I get off the stage. But that's what it means, right? that God judges your heart. When we give, we ought to be giving freely. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8 says it like this. Remember, 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God blesses us to be a blessing. We give in obedience. In the letter to the Corinthians, Paul says this, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatians church to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Imagine if the, the poor among us, the weak among us, the disenfranchised among us, the, the, the oppressed among us would be able to come to our church and say, when I came into that church, there was no need that couldn't fill there was no need they couldn't fill God blesses us to be a blessing whether it's obedience or sacrificially you remember the widow's might in Luke 21 God talked Jesus talks about this widow and he says she gave out of her poverty that struck me as a kid and probably most of my life because I was closer to the widow's might you know when you're like a 15 year old kid you you know you, you might earn, what, $50 a week. $5 is a lot. <laughs> you know, you're looking over your shoulder, you're like, man, the adults are writing these big checks, or you assume they're writing these big checks, and you don't want to give that last $5, right? But apparently, according to Jesus, your bank account does not determine your heart. Furthermore, your bank account does not determine how much God appreciates and needs what you're giving. Because Jesus in Luke 21 Big ups, if you will, right? Exalts the widow who gave out of her poverty than people who gave out of their abundance. That's what it means by sacrificial giving, right? Because if I, can't, if I can live without thinking about it, Jesus seems to think that the widow who may not know where the next meal is coming from might be giving just a little bit more. We not only reap what we sow, but we ought to be giving out of gratitude and appreciation. To Israel, God says, I want you to remember my name. I want you to honor my name. I want you to lift up my name. And the name of God was both, yes, he's all powerful, he's all knowing, he's all good. But the name of God was also who he revealed himself to be. And I don't know about you this morning, but for me, I'm celebrating today that God is the God who redeems that God is the God who changes lives. That God is the God who does what I cannot. That God is the God who, when the world seems broken, he says to us, I'm putting it back together. I just need your help too. That God is the God who's not scared of the darkness. That God is the God who's not scared of the brokenness. That God is the God who says, you know what? I know you only see yourself as least and, and broken and unusable, but you know what? I got you. And with me on your side, we can do this thing. We ought to be giving, not just because God asks us to, but because we're grateful for all that God has done for us. Amen? Amen. I'd like to invite up the worship team. We're going to close with our final song as the choir comes back up. I'd like to also invite any of the pastors who are not in the choir um, or are playing. Um, we'll be up front to pray for you for anything you've got going on. It could be in response to something in the service or just anything you've got going on. But as we sing this song and as we, we hold these things, may we be challenged this morning to remember who our God is, remember how our God calls us to, and to remember this simple truth 
We become what we worship. We serve what we hold on to. May we be willing to let go and grab a little closer to our God today. Let's stand and sing together. say we'll never make it through 
book of Malachi, we said last week, starts to, to, to get past the halfway point where we got through all the, the mostly bad stuff, right? And I know it's hard to get in the week, you're like, this must be good news, this must be good news. But as I was thinking about, you know, how to land a plane, so to speak, how to end the service, I was just struck by how many times in this book that God reminds the people of his faithfulness. And I don't think it's because God is, you know, an egomaniac or he forgets, right? But I do think it's because we forget. I think it's because we take our eyes off of him. I think it's because we start valuing things that aren't worthy of our God. They may not even be worthy of us sometimes, right? We start putting all our energy towards these things that are not good. But I pray this morning that we can hear the message of Malachi. That as we think about what it means to give all of ourselves to God, that we're, we're looking about what does it mean, God, for me to give everything in obedience? What does sacrificial giving look like to me? God, I know I'm going to reap what I'll sow or sow what I reap. But what am I actually sowing and reaping when I think about my life for you? Our God is good. Our God is generous. Our God is gracious. May we as his people be good and generous and gracious, not just in here, but oh my goodness, especially out there. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. We thank you that you are a good God or the generous God, the one who always loves us, the one who always carries us, the one who's always faithful to us. God, even though we fall short, you never fall short. Even though we miss the mark, you never miss the mark. Even though we are, are broken and, 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 and fall, fallen, Lord, you redeem us. You heal us. You even set us free from the shackles that hold us down. God, we thank you that you're so gracious that as we look back on our lives, some of us can say, God, I don't even know why I'm still here. God, I don't even know how I'm still here. God, I don't even know why I'm still here. But God, we are here and that's a blessing. So we want to start there by saying, God, we are here and now we give it all to you. Not just our wallets and pocketbooks or our bank accounts, but all of ourselves we present back to you today. Yes. And God, we hear that call to return to, to, to what the Old Testament people call shuv, Lord. If there's any way that we're going that's not leading to you, Lord, please forgive us and now lead us in the way of the everlasting. If there's any decision or things we're holding on to that's not honoring to you, God, help us to let go. Because it's hard to hold on to you if our hands remain full of this world. So help us to let go of these things that chain us and hold on to the one who frees us. Help us to let go of these things that, that are fake idols and fake gods and help us to go to the one that doesn't oppress us, but the one who sets us free. And God, most of us, we thank you this morning that you have chosen us to do your work, that you have blessed us to be a blessing, that you have gifted us to be a gift. Now I pray that as we leave, May we truly be a gift to you and our world in the kingdom. May we truly be a blessing to you, our world in the kingdom. May we truly be the love that you have given us. May we give that love to our world, to you and the kingdom. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.